Hello, this is Katherine Cunningham. Thank you for joining us for the Natural Intelligence Worldwide Podcast. We know that we need to decarbonize our world. We know that we need to redesign our urban communities according to regenerative principles. We know that the human context matters when we're reimagining our transportation infrastructure to be more efficient. We know that our data sets for Earth observation are now incredibly robust and reliable, so we can track our global footprint and the global footprint of our ancestors now with great precision. We know that our linear one-way throwaway society is a dead end for our human civilization, literally. We recognize that natural systems are crashing and that we've created a more toxic environment for life to thrive by polluting our air and water, however unintentionally. But we also know that young people are depending on us to use our collective intelligence to act on solutions that course correct our planetary impact. Welcome to our Natural Intelligence Worldwide podcast, where I've interviewed some of the most committed and intelligent individuals on the planet to help provide insight on the state of our planet and foresight on how to live as good humans, part of the natural biosphere, and a new renaissance in regenerative design. How is artificial intelligence helping us better query more robust data sets to understand transportation patterns? How can we shift our perception on carbon and ensure we hit science-based targets to effectively decarbonize our world? How can we reframe waste as wealth to design non-linear loops to reallocate resources in the circular economy? These are just some of the questions we'll answer in the following podcast entitled Foresight on Digital Technologies and Design to Create a Regenerative Renaissance in Society. I'm here with Chris Lukeman. He's an Arab Fellow, Global Director of Foresight Research and Innovation, again at Arab. Welcome, Chris. Great to be here, Catherine. Thank you very much. So, Chris, you've been in the foresight business, the future business, for quite a long time. You've seen everything, been everywhere, talked to everyone that has any interest in what's next now in digital technologies, what's next now in design. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that really surprises you in this particular time? So I'm always surprised by a few things, Catherine. One is the rapid rate of adaptation and the slow rate of adaptation that happens simultaneously. If we take a look at artificial intelligence, it's really, it's been around for quite a long time. Now, because that we have larger data sets that we're able to query and teach an algorithm what to look for, we're able to start to look for things. And we're able to acquire these data sets because we have smartphones or sensors in our cities or on our persons, which then transmit or acquire that data, either knowingly or unknowingly, so that we can then take a look at them. So I'm surprised by the way in which they're being used in a very positive way. My transportation planners at Arup tell me this is a renaissance for them. So for the first time, they really truly know where people are going. Mm-hmm. It's all based on phone data. And this is all over the world. This isn't just in the white west. This is the entire world where we have this phone data. So we can understand where people are going, but we don't know why yet. Mm-hmm. So this is also quite intriguing when we're looking at trying to achieve the sustainable development goals is to understand why people are going from point A to B and how to modify those trips to make them more efficient, effective, and ecological. So if we've always had access to this data, or, I mean, 
maybe now yeah. we're just able with computing power to access larger databases of information. Is that really what's driven the opportunity for us to look at global trends? I know yeah. you've been an yeah. advocate of drivers of change and, and really looking yeah. at global trends from a policy, economic, ecological, social perspective. Can yeah. we now better answer the kinds of questions we need to in society, yeah. transportation, smart cities, et cetera? Yeah, yeah that's a good question. You know, um, with these new data sets, can we answer the questions more rapidly, more robustly, more coherently, more inclusively? Great question. And I, to, to me, it depends on the contextual relationship to the question we're asking. We don't know why people are going from point A to B, but we do know they need to get there. We don't know if they're buying sustainable goods or junk, if they're buying food, which they require to live, or if they're buying you know, some, a fancy watch. Uh, you know, those are questions we don't know. So what's exciting to me with all of this is the opportunity with this emerging technology to leapfrog our efforts in trying to achieve a sustainable future. Well, what comes to me when you're speaking about transportation sector in particular, going from point A to point B, interesting, I just borrow from the Dalai Lama this brilliant quote, it's the journey, not the destination. <laughs> Can you expand yeah. on that a bit? Sort of the, the journey well, of designing yeah. digital technologies like artificial intelligence yeah. for urban centers. Well, if I ask my transportation planners, they would say it's the destination, not the journey. But that matters because, oh, really? yeah, it's really quite interesting, you know, because they're, okay, that's not entirely true. The journey uh -huh. does matter a lot because it, it's... Well, efficiency is in the journey. Absolutely. Efficiency are the modes, like how you get from point A to B. If you have single users in a vehicle or single users on a bicycle, yeah. or if you have multiple users in a, in a bus or a train. So it depends on the mode. The that's modal true. Mix, if you're a right? mother with three kids that are going to soccer practice, you're not exactly going to take or transit, you, you might... Or a mother of three kids trying to walk to get water. So context it's, matters. Context matters. And so it's easy for us to, in conversations, to forget about the context on the ground. And this is where this data also does help us. And the sensors that go along with it, as well as a new so electric technology, hydrogen technology, which helps us to move away from carbon. As we need to decarbonize our world, this data begins to help us. You know, Carbon is a great material. It's a wonderful material which we should be using appropriately. It's right? a wonderful material for producing plastics, for producing no, no, no. petrochemicals, no, products, we, what do you mean? We, we use it in all sorts of as a petrochemicals, but uh, um, oils and foods and uh, as an emulsifier. You know, it, it's the carbon chain is the basis of so much organic chemistry. Well, actually, life, if we look at exactly. you know, carbon, right. hydrogen, oxygen, that's the that's makeup life. of life. So why burn so. it? Right, so why burn it? Right, that's, that's what I mean. So we're moving away from this carbon-based society to renewable society where we're still using oil and the product has come out of that for good in life and not necessarily burning it just for its value as energy and, and killing the planet. So actually just back to then the use of these large data sets and yeah. ability to combine different digital technologies, drone technologies, satellite technologies, to be able to, in a fine-grain way, evaluate yeah. impact. transformation impact yeah. that's transformation happening on, impact, yeah. on the planet. Yeah. It sounds like you're really gearing this conversation toward planetary boundaries, and yes. I know that this is obviously a very important topic. Can technologies 
and access to more intensive data, the ability to process it faster. Can this help us really understand systems better to very rapidly make wiser targeted decisions? So the answer to that question has to be yes and the scientists who are working on understanding the Earth systems are able today to gather data in a more rapid and meaningful way to create robust and reliable data sets that we couldn't 50 years ago. So we can compare the Earth's state from 50 years to today in a way which we couldn't. And we will now be able to, in many ways, observe the damage and the unfolding, the unintended consequences of our actions and of our forefathers' actions and foremothers' or forebearers' actions. The unintended consequences is they tried to create a better life for their offspring. But now, we are the first generation who can observe the impacts of all the foregoing Homo sapiens on our planet. And so therefore, we have an opportunity and an obligation to act with knowledge. And these data sets will help us with AI to look for those patterns and perhaps leverage points which we might not see so that we have a chance at regenerating our planet. We're the first generation to really understand more deeply, more profoundly, in a more interconnected, multi-layer way, the systems of our planet yeah. and how we've had a planetary influence yes. as a species. At the same time, some would argue that we're actually the last generation to do something about it. Yes. Which points to Absolutely. the urgency Absolutely. of the issue. And Absolutely. so what then, if it's really transparent and clear, yeah that we have caused deforestation, that yep. we have now more yep. extreme weather events yep. happening, occurring year after year, that the carbon emissions yep. and the so, climate and human activities are tied. What then is really, what are some of the blocks and what are some of the ways that we can overcome those blocks to be able to really take rapid, targeted, significant action on climate change, for example? There are bigger brains in mind working on that specific question. But what I will answer is the following. I'm a very strong believer in the need for science-based targets which reflect the state of our planet, and climate is one of them. Ocean acidification, biodiversity, land use conversion, these are all indicators of our planetary health. And we need to support our scientists as they are coming soon to some very clear targets for us to understand where we've exceeded and where we still have a little bit of breathing room so that we can regenerate, renovate, retrofit, design towards staying within those guardrails for humanity. Because at the moment, we're just slightly out of control. Interesting. When you talk to really listening to the scientists, those that have invested their professional careers in understanding yeah. the problem and living with the problem, so yeah. also let's turn to those that are impacted by climate change, living at the seashore yeah. and looking at yeah. their fields become inundated with salt water and really driving with that problem, they are probably the ones that will be first and foremost, ones we should turn to do, to come up with these types of with solutions that are quite innovative. And so I see that as a driver of change. For you, what are some other drivers of change that actually move us in the direction to, like you said, now sort of accepting the problems exist, understanding them deeply, but then actually moving towards solutions and creating that strategic map? So we are now an urbanized society. So to me, the solutions lie in the way in which we are urbanizing. So 
any infrastructure which we're creating today, which is not carbon neutral, which is not water neutral, which is not regenerative or zero waste, is locking in damaging systems for the next 20 to 50 years. So there's an urgency to the rethinking of the way in which we create the housing, the schools, the hospitals, the roads, which our thriving societies demand. The one thing that's clear to me personally is the path we're on is not a path which will lead to a happy end or a happy even continuance. So there's an urgency to support these science-based targets so that we can get those into building codes, into communities who care so that they have the science to say this is what we need to do. And let's not and forget, you're working for Arab, you know, one of the premier engineering development companies in the world. So when infrastructure gets put in place, how long are we then committed to that infrastructure? Well, you know, it's man, we're still we're still driving on roads the Romans built. Depends on the infrastructure, but it can be dozens to hundreds of years. That's the lock-in. So, you know, this is where we need to focus on regeneration. Not just zero, but regeneration. Because our systems are too damaged. Not just sustainable, but actually those that are repairable. Re re regenerative. regenerative. So, yeah. regenerative, it's a really important word in an ecological sense. In that, but it's also in a human sense, too. Absolutely, so, but I just, on the regenerative sense, yeah. ecological systems, yeah. they don't produce waste. They do self-generate, so they're designed, they're evolved to self-regenerate. And so how can we borrow from yeah. the natural well, well, principles yeah, so of design? One, one thing I would disagree with in that statement, I agree with everything else you said, except that nature doesn't create waste. It depends on what you call waste. The oil which we use today, one could argue, was waste. There's uh, plants which died and went to the bottom of a bog eventually with time and pressure turned in oil so say that was waste or a carcass that sits out in a forest and kind of rots so that's one could argue that's waste but it's not in the sense of what we look at it with our eyes with our prism saying well microbes are munching on it and other animals are munching on it so quote nothing goes to waste so for me I look at that, rather than saying there's no waste in nature, saying there's no garbage in nature, and everything is utilized to its highest use, which brings us to the circular economy, which is everything needs to be continually used to its highest purpose. Eventually that carcass will be stripped of everything until there's nothing really left, and then it will turn to calcium and maybe rot away, but it's still, its purpose is furthering other entities, which further other entities, etc. So to me, this is the other part of our, of our economic puzzle is to how do we go from a one-way society to the circular society? Again, there are many people thinking about this. We're working with different foundations on that as well. We haven't cracked it yet, but it is a journey that we all need to focus and effort on because the one-way throwaway society is a one-way dead-end street. This is brilliant. You've opened my mind and given me greater foresight in looking at the waste wealth opportunities. If we could just put our new human lens on the waste that we perceive as wealth and look as, at plastics in the ocean and look at as opportunity. waste paper, as opportunity. Right. So how do we turn... So I say there's, you know, it's the obviation of the term garbage it's just misallocated resource. Mm -hmm. Everything's resource. 
We only have one planet, and everything we have on the planet is our resource. So therefore, what do we do with it? How do we repurpose it? How right. do we change some of our systems so that we're you know, really being resource efficient and resource effective? All right, and which means that we need to rethink our design and rethink the way that we have developed our society to date. And it's, it's a, a big, big challenge. challenge. It's a big I think challenge. that's what we're both coming to you know, in this conversation. And, but you know what? What's exciting to me, though, Catherine, is there, I truly believe there are an increasing number of individuals who are aware of this challenge. It's no longer not talked about. People are talking about this now. Ten years ago, they weren't. And so you can question motives. I don't care, because as long as we're talking about this so that we redesign and reconsider the way in which we're behaving on the planet, then I'm okay. We're getting there. We're also designing yeah. systems where our collective intelligence... Yeah you know, is able to be accessed and resourced exactly. around the world in order to solve our global, local problems. Exactly. Wonderful. Do you have any closing thoughts and a key message that you'd like to share with the community here? Well, you know, just one, and that is at Thanksgiving this year, at the American Thanksgiving, my daughter was quite upset with me because I was talking about the perilous state of our planet and the collapse of our natural systems and social unrest and migration. And you look at all these things, it's easy to get wound up. And she looked at me with tears in her eyes saying, look, Papa, you can't give up. It's the only planet I have. And I think that's the message that we all need to remember. We don't have another planet and we have young people are depending on us to help them be successful in their quest to have a good life. Thank you for sharing, Chris. Wonderful to be here. It's always a pleasure, Catherine. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our Natural Intelligence Worldwide podcast. We're committed to awakening natural intelligence again in our world. You can find us at naturalintelligence.com and listen to our growing portfolio of podcasts. Every week, Wednesday and Friday, we'll continue to post rich conversations with bright thought leaders on how to make a new deal with nature, how to evolve our communities and companies according to nature's principles of regeneration, how to advance our sustainable goals and act on climate, and how to use technology for global good. Thank you for listening and awakening natural intelligence in the world. Have a brilliant day.